Well, today we're going to be talking about getting high and what the Bible says about it. Uh, now, I know some of you might be thinking, what in the world have I just signed up for? <laughs> Where is the exit? Uh, and then there are others of you who are like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, let's buckle up and get going. Um, so before we open up the scriptures and examine what the Bible has to say, um, I want to share a few things with you first, all right? So first, the reason we are tackling a subject like this today, and then two, a few disclaimers. So let's start with the why, okay? Why are we talking about this today? Uh, well, today's message is and it isn't about getting high. It's actually more about escape than it, is about, than, uh, than it is about really anything else, and how so many of us have found our own ways of escaping from the impossible standards that we have placed upon ourselves and uh, maybe even allowed other people to place on us too. Uh, some forms of escape are more socially acceptable than others, like potato chips uh, or uh, trendy cocktails, binge-watching shows, uh, YA fiction, social media, or gaming. Uh, and then there are other forms of escape that may not be as socially acceptable, like cannabis, opioids, heroin, meth, and cocaine. Now, while the Bible may not specifically speak about all the different forms of escape that humans have turned to over the past 100 years, like, um, you know, does the Bible specifically say anything about social media or Marijuana? No, not specifically, but the Bible does talk a lot about the danger of becoming addicted to forms of escape like those ones. So that's what we're going to be unpacking today. Uh, secondly, there are a few disclaimers, three in particular before we open up the scriptures. First and foremost, uh, I'm a pastor, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, my expertise is in teaching the Bible and helping us understand what the Bible means and, and how we can walk out um, what the Bible talks about as the people of God. So I'm not an expert on addictions or mental health. So that's why I sat down with Dr. Daniel Lee, who is a psychiatrist at the Alberta Hospital, and he is the zone clinical department head for addictions and mental health for Alberta Health Services. Uh, he helped me understand that not all addictions are the same, and that in fact, addictions start uh, as a life problem before they often become a clinical problem. So Dr. Lee shared with me that, quote, life problems are emotional, social, psychological, or behavioral problems that often respond to counseling, uh, support, and problem solving. Uh, spiritual care, counseling, and community are critical at this stage to prevent further escalation. However, a clinical problem results, right, life problem, and then a clinical problem results when the underlying neural circuits of pleasure and reward become rewired, and they don't respond solely to counseling or support, but they often require professional help. So now, according to the Mayo Clinic, take a look at this definition of an addiction. An addiction is a condition in which something that started as pleasurable now feels like something you can't live without. 
Doctors define drug addiction as an irresistible craving for a drug, out of control and compulsive use of the drug, and continued use of the drug despite repeated harmful consequences. So addictions happen from a sliding scale of mild to moderate, and then moderate to severe. And professionals use, use something called a CAGE questionnaire to help determine where someone is on this scale. Take a look at these four questions. Number one, have you ever felt you ought to cut down or you tried to cut down on your fill in the blank, your form of escape, that addiction? Number two, have people uh, annoy you by criticizing your use of X, Y, Z? Uh, or three, have you ever felt bad or guilty about your use of fill in the blank? And four, an eye opener. Have you ever had to use X, Y, or Z first thing in the morning just to get going, steady your nerves, or uh, to get rid of a hangover? So if, if you've uh, answered yes to two or more of these questions, then you're likely on the moderate to severe end of addiction. That moderate to severe end uh, of being addicted to that form of escape that you turn to. So this, is likely, this likely means that your addiction has turned from just being a life problem to being a clinical problem. And if that's your case, I want to encourage you to reach out to a counselor, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist for help. Because as a clinical problem, your brain has been hijacked and rewired. Um, and this... If you live too long in this side of things, then um, this can result in a lot of harm to yourself and to those around you. And if you don't know who to call for clinical help, then I want to encourage you to call Access 24-7. Uh, this is a resource from Alberta Health, Health Services for both non-urgent and urgent addiction and mental health services. So you can write that down or you can Google Access 24-7, 780-424-2424. All right, so now today's message uh, is going to help you understand what it means when we open up the scriptures, what it means to not be mastered by anything. So when you think about that form of escape that you might be addicted to, uh, whether you're on the mild to moderate or the moderate to severe end of the spectrum, we are going to discover today that ultimate freedom is only found in Jesus Christ and that Jesus is the solution to your hurts, hangups, and habits. But having said that, there's no shame. There's absolutely no shame in reaching out to a psychologist, a counselor, or a psychiatrist for clinical help. This is a part of God's common grace. All right, so that's the first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is that according to research, stopping an addiction isn't just a matter of sheer willpower. Uh, the reason some people get addicted and others don't is a combination between genetics, social environment, and development. So when you think about genetics, uh, recent research has revealed that up to 75% of, uh, of, of the possibility of developing an addiction is related to genetics. So if you have a, um, if you have a history of addiction in your family, then what that means is your first drink or your first um, experience with pot may actually lead to addiction far, and, and, and may actually lead far more likely to addiction than someone who may not have a genetic disposition to addictions in their family. So up to 75% 
Okay, genetics. And then there's also social environment, which essentially means, um, and, and researchers have found that if, if you are experiencing joy and a, a sense of contentment in your work, in, in life, in your relationships, then you're likely not going to turn to addictive behaviors. Uh, but if you aren't, then you're more likely to. And lastly, development. You know, uh, addiction can happen at any age, but the earlier in life you turn to um, whatever that X, Y, Z might be, drugs, alcohol, opioids, or porn, uh, the earlier in life that you might turn to that, uh, the more likely it is that you're going to develop an addiction. Okay, and our third disclaimer is this. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we live in a fallen world. In the Bible, we see that after God created humans, uh, he saw all that he made, and he said it was very good indeed. But then later on in the story, we see that there's the introduction of sin into our world and uh, there's human rebellion. As a result, we live in a fallen world. And evidence of that? What's the evidence of that? War, right? Crime, hatred, senseless acts of violence, injustice. And then not only is, are, are those, is that evidence of our fallen world, but just think about things like cancer, right? Heart disease. MS, ALS, Alzheimer's, on and on and on the list goes, right? These diseases were not a part of God's original good design for us. But because we live in a fallen world and we see researchers say there's a, because there's a combination of genetic mutation and environmental factors, and when you put both of those together, that's actually what results in both physical and mental illness. All right, so uh, now that we've set the stage and walked through a few disclaimers, um, I wanna open up to 1 Corinthians 6.12, and I wanna unpack with you the meaning of this verse as it relates to addictions, escape, and getting high. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come. And whatever word that you have for us today, pray that we would have the ears to hear, the mind to understand, and eyes to see how specifically you're speaking to us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's read this. 1 Corinthians 6, starting from verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Let's just read that one more time. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. What's the Apostle Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the Oilers? <laughs> that it's permissible to watch, but not always beneficial? No, it's not. The Oilers are actually doing great. I'm glad they clinched a playoff spot. I actually think he's talking about the Canucks. Rip your heart out, right? Like, I don't think they are ever going to win a Stanley Cup. It's so sad. Um, so is that what Paul's talking about here? You know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe he's talking more about cable news uh, or TikTok. 
YouTube or Reels. Yeah, it's permissible to watch, but it's not always beneficial, is it? Well, in today's message, we're going to unpack this verse by learning to ask two questions of ourselves every time we are faced with a form of escape that we turn to, that sometimes occasionally or frequently we might turn to. Two questions that I, wanna, that I, I want us to learn to ask ourselves. Okay, the first one is, uh, is this beneficial? Right? When you think about that form of escape, is it beneficial? And then number two, is it my master? Is it beneficial and is this my master? So let's take a look at all of these different forms of escape uh, that people turn to in our society. And what you're going to see here on the screen is a list of both socially acceptable um, and not as socially acceptable forms of escape. But just take a look at this list, right? Just take a look at this. This is a list of escape. When you are experiencing stress in life, uh, when you're experiencing the weight of pain or shame or guilt, uh, what, which of these do you turn to to find relief or distraction or escape? What do you, what do you turn to? Maybe you've identified that form of escape. Um, when you turn to it, I want us to learn to ask ourselves two questions. Number one, is this form of escape beneficial? Ice cream, yes, it's always beneficial. <laughs> Cannabis, not so much. Pornography, not so much. But you know what, for some, ice cream may not be. Number two, is it my master? Uh, you know, when Paul wrote what he wrote here in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, he may not have been specifically thinking about getting high on marijuana, drunk on whiskey, or depressed because you're in a show hole and you've realized that there are no more episodes to watch. You know what I'm talking about? Um, he may not have been thinking about that. But I think he was thinking about the natural human tendency that we all have to escape. When you look at 1 Corinthians 6, uh, specifically in this context, Paul is addressing some men in Corinth within the Christian community who are trying to experience escape by going to prostitutes. Now these men, uh, they were trying to make the argument that, hey, I'm Christian, I'm a person of the spirit, so I actually live in a higher plane and what I do with my body doesn't really matter anymore. That's what they were trying to argue. So they wrongly believe that, that uh, whether they escape by having sex with prostitutes or escape in some other way by getting high, their argument here was it doesn't matter because it's just my body. So that's why Paul says, everything he says here in this passage because he's confronting the Corinthian false understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus who is filled with the Spirit. So take a look at verse 12 to 14 because Paul breaks down their false understanding of freedom and the nature of the body. Okay, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord, and he'll also raise us up by his power. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. What does Paul mean by that? He's saying here that what we do with our bodies and to our bodies matter. Let's keep reading verse 15. Uh, Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Paul is continuing to make his point here that what we do with our bodies and to our bodies matter. He's saying here that having sex with someone who is not your spouse, not your married spouse, is not just sex. Sex is not just a biological act of the body. Sex is profoundly spiritual Because when you have sex with someone, you become one with them in flesh. And that's why it hurts so deeply when you break up with someone who you've had sex with and why it feels so empty if you have a one-night stand. After being joined with that person and then becoming one with them, you are ripping apart what was never designed to be ripped apart. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was wrestling with an analogy and what, what Paul is talking about here. And, and initially I thought about Velcro, right? You got two pieces of Velcro together. And so it's when, when you have sex with someone, is it that you are putting two pieces of Velcro together and they stick? Is that what it's like? And that when you rip it apart, it, it's, it, it's loud, it's, it makes that annoying sound. Sometimes it's kind of hard to rip apart at the beginning, but, but you kind of go, is, is that what Paul is talking about? No, it's not. Because you're kind of, you're, you're as you were before it happened. It's, it's more like grabbing two pieces of cloth and grabbing Gorilla Glue and, and putting Gorilla Glue all in the middle of it and, and, and putting those two pieces of cloth together. That's what it's like. Have you ever tried that? Like, can you imagine what would happen if you try to pull that up? You can't pull it apart. I mean, yeah, you, you can, but it's pretty much one. And, and when you try to pull it apart, can you ever get those two pieces to be exactly as they were before? No, you can't. You're actually going to have some pieces ripped off on this piece and this piece ripped off on that piece and and it's going to be in shambles. And and honestly, friends, this is what Paul is talking about. Take a look at verse 18 to 20. Uh, He says, flee, right? So as a result of this, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. In these verses, Paul isn't just saying to flee sex outside of marriage. 
It's not just... It's not just saying that. He's actually emphasizing here that our bodies matter. Friends, what Paul is saying here is that what we do with our bodies and to our bodies matter. That our bodies matter. That our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that our bodies are not our own because we were bought at a price through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what Paul is saying here, he's ending this argument with this phrase. He says, so glorify God with your body. What you do with your bodies and to your body matters. So glorify God with your body. So glorify God with your body. Let's camp out on that statement just for a little bit here. And let me ask you a question. When you, when you get high or when you turn to whatever form of escape that you might turn to, do you think that that's glorifying God with your body? And what about the fact that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Take a look at this quote from the theologian Gordon Fee. Our individual bodies do not belong to us alone in a selfish, self-centered way. Rather, they belong to Christ. Our bodies belong to Christ, purchased by him through redemption and now indwelt by the Spirit so as to be God's own sanctuary. Friends, what we do with our bodies and to our bodies matters. It matters. So now that we understand the, the context of verse 12, let's take a look at verse 12 again. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I'll not be mastered by anything. When we're face to face with whatever that form of escape uh, that we might occasionally or frequently turn to, here are two questions that we need to learn to ask ourselves. Number one, is this beneficial? And number two, is this my master? So let's talk about this first question. Is this beneficial? Well, I, I guess we've already sort of addressed this first question, right? I take a look at this list again. Uh, everything, uh, when you think about everything on this list, Okay, even though, even though everything on this list might be permissible, and I use that word lightly because I guess if you're old enough and if you have enough money, uh, yeah, I, I guess some could say that everything here is permissible, uh, but we've just discovered in this passage that not everything is beneficial, right? That though something might seem culturally or, or whatnot to be permissible, it doesn't mean it's beneficial, right? Because what we do with our bodies and to our bodies matter. And plus the fact that escaping uh, pain and guilt and shame through these forms, through these things, uh, usually means we're ignoring the real issue, right? That, that's usually what happens because we're trying to escape whatever we are feeling and in, in, in experiencing and being overwhelmed with right now. You know, we're escaping from it. We're trying to numb ourselves through these things rather than actually going to Jesus and finding healing and restoration. What we see here is that these forms of escape, they're not beneficial. 
Uh, so let's move on to our second question. Is it my master? Right? Is this, is this form of escape that I'm occasionally or frequently turning to, is it my master? Have you ever watched MasterChef? Anyone MasterChef? Like Gordon Ramsay, like I don't know anyone who's ever filleted a salmon as skillfully as Gordon Ramsay. The guy is just a genius. I just would never want to be in a kitchen with him. Right? The guy is so scary. So there's MasterChef, it's pretty cool. But MasterChef Junior, man, I am just like, I, does anyone, can anyone, like when, if you've ever watched this show, have you ever like thought to yourself, I can't even come close to cooking like these kids. Right? Like, it's just, like, how in the world are you cooking like that? And then, and then there's all the growing numbers of master classes online. In fact, here, here's my favorite one. Let's check this out. Ah, it's beautiful. I remember cooking my first brisket like it was 16 years ago. It was pretty terrible. From the first brisket in my backyard to 106 briskets every day, I'm also still learning and I want to share these things with you. Oh my, this looks really nice. Anyone hungry now? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, being and becoming a master, like Aaron Franklin, uh, is celebrated in our society, isn't it? I mean, there's even a golf tournament called the masters. But you know what? That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about becoming a master. He's actually talking about not being mastered by anything. 1 Corinthians 6.12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Well, Paul might have not known how addictive online shopping, smartphones, opioids, porn, or pot would be. He knew how crippling addictions could be and how it would feel if that form of escape that you're addicted to became your master because it would be one of the first things that you do or think about doing when you wake up. Or it would be one of the first things you do or think about doing when you go to bed. It would be one of those things that you'd get, you'd, you'd, you'd get so annoyed when people talk to you about it. You'd give your money to it or, or to do it. You would sometimes feel bad or guilty about it, and it would always seem to be on your mind. Does that describe you? Uh, maybe at one point in time, maybe right now. If so, then perhaps that form of escape has become your master, and perhaps you're addicted. As followers of Jesus, when we let anyone or anything become our master, we are essentially doing what the Corinthian church did here. We are joining ourselves with that thing, and we are becoming one with that thing, as if we were getting gorilla glue and, and pasting ourselves in that thing together. 
Because what we do with our bodies and to our bodies matter. In fact, do you remember that definition of an addiction from the Mayo Clinic? Uh, Addiction is a condition in which something that started as pleasurable now feels like something you can't live without. And if you can't live without it, then isn't that the definition of it, something being your master, of being enslaved to it? You know, an addiction is further defined as something that you continue to do even though it results in harm to you and to those around you and negative consequences. After all, why would, I mean, why would anyone in their right mind willingly hurt themselves, right? And willingly, you know, what do you like doing? I love hurting myself. I love hurting those around me. I mean, no one willingly does that. Actually, let me clarify. Um, If you're mastered by something or enslaved to something or someone, then then perhaps then you will. Because you don't realize the negative consequences that this is having to you and to those around you. Let Let me actually draw something out to you here. Um, I I just wanted to draw this out to help you just be abundantly clear uh, what we're talking about and just to see how this works together, okay? So if you look here, uh, we have our form of escape, right? So you can fill in whatever, I I mean, I have the word escape here. You can uh, fill it in for whatever that form of escape might be for you. Um, We've talked about, okay, is this beneficial? Is this my master? Right, well, when we turn to that form of escape, whatever that might be, and, and you find yourself continuing to turn to it, uh, whether you actually want to or not, because there's that addiction or that, there's that enslavement to it, that it, what ends up happening is we start to be filled with shame. Uh, and the shame is not a one-dimensional sort of shame. The shame takes on different forms. Uh, so, for example, the shame at one point might actually turn to thoughts like, I hate myself. And you might be wallowing in kind of the after effects of turning to that escape, and and you might just be in self-pity because you're like, I hate the fact that I always do this or I always turn to this. Or, Or maybe shame might say to you that you don't matter, and you start believing it, right? And you're like, I don't matter. I'm never going to find freedom from this. Or, or maybe shame is going to take on another form and hit you relationally and actually tell you, I don't fit in. I'm all alone. And as a result, what ends up happening is um, you might be filled with thoughts of um, where, where you just want to give up. Because you're like, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. I don't know if I can... Um, I can walk through another cycle of this anymore, and, and, and maybe that might actually turn to feelings of helplessness, and, and, and you might actually feel I, I useless. So what ends up happening when we find ourselves in shame, right, the, in, in this shame after turning to this form of escape, well, what we often do is we lie about it. And we lie about what we did lie to ourselves, we lie to those around us, Um, we lie about how serious of a thing this actually is, Um, and then when we lie, what ends up happening is we get trapped in isolation, 
we're actually opening the door um, or closing the door to everyone and anything else and we're isolating ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves, this actually turns to, um, it actually causes us to turn to that form of escape again and again. And there's this cycle of escape and shame and lying and isolation that we turn to over and over and over again that the enemy actually traps us in. But what if, right? What if, if instead of lying, right, instead of uh, sitting in that shame, right, instead of doing that, what if instead of lying, uh, we actually, from that shame, uh, we confess and we repent, right? What do you think would happen if we turn to Jesus whenever we turn to that form of escape and we're uh, overwhelmed with shame? What if we turn to Jesus instead Instead of isolating ourselves and lying, we, we confess and we repent to Jesus and to those that we've hurt. Well, you know what would end up happening? Uh, what will end up happening is instead of experiencing shame, uh, we'll actually be filled and experience acceptance. And what will end up happening is instead of being overwhelmed with what shame says, which is, I hate myself, uh, we'll actually hear Jesus say that you are loved. First John 4.10 says this, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son for us to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what Jesus says. And when we turn to Jesus in confession and repentance, instead of hearing, I don't matter, what we'll actually begin hearing is you have Jesus saying to us that you have a purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. And when we turn to Jesus in confession and repentance, instead of hearing shame tell us and the enemy tell us that we don't fit in, we'll actually hear and know that we belong. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, we read this. Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. We are needed and individually we are members of one another. We all have a part to play. And when we turn to Jesus in confession and repentance, instead of being overwhelmed with feelings of giving up, we'll recognize that you have a choice, that we have a choice, that we're not helpless. Because in Romans 8, 6, it says, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And then... Instead of feeling useless, that's what shame says, that's what the enemy tries to cause us to feel, we will recognize, friends, that you are needed, that we are needed. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of a afflictions through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You know, when we recognize 
after confessing and repenting that we are accepted, what will end up happening is we will be filled with hope. We won't be filled with escape or shame or isolation or be filled with lying and get caught up in this whole cycle over and over again. We'll actually be filled with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we would lay down all forms of escape that we've turned to as a way to deal with the, the, the pain in our lives with guilt and shame. I pray that we would confess, may we confess and repent of all the ways that we've turned to these forms of escape and getting high instead of turning to Jesus so we can experience acceptance instead of shame, hope instead of isolation. Because my dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is the source of ultimate freedom. Jesus is the solution to your hurts, hangups, and habits, and Jesus is the solution to your shame. Jesus is the one that you have been seeking for and after every time that you've turned to whatever that form of escape might have been or that thing to have gotten high. Every time you've turned to that, the thing that your soul and your body was actually looking for was Jesus. Because whatever hope that that thing promised, promised, it's always, it was always short-lived. It was always an empty promise. But when we turn to Jesus, his promise is everlasting and it's eternal. So instead of living in this toxic mess of shame, whatever that shame might be, that form of escape might be, I pray that instead of turning to this, you would turn to Jesus by confessing and repenting of all the ways, all the ways that you've turned to this instead of Jesus. So church family, here at our West Campus, our Southwest Campus, or Faro de Luz campus, if you're with us online, my prayer is that we would, um, before we leave today, we would just spend the next minute or two in confession and repentance. Like I drew in that diagram, I don't want you to go home and do this. I, I want you to do this right now. I want to invite you to confess and repent of whatever form of escape that you might have turned to in the past and then you might still be turning to. So let's close our eyes and let's do that right now.
So Jesus, we come to you as your beloved children, knowing that we are helpless without you, helpless to find our way, helpless to pave a way and a life that is meaningful on our own. Lord Jesus, only through you is there hope. So I pray that every single time that we are tempted to turn to whatever that form of escape might be, might have been yesterday, might be today, and might be tomorrow, I pray, Jesus, that we would remember your grace. We would be showered by your grace. We would remember today and ask ourselves, is this beneficial? Is this my master? And instead of wallowing in that shame, Lord, we would turn to confession and repentance to you and to others so we may experience freedom in you. Thank you, Jesus, that there is freedom in the name of Jesus Christ, that there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ, that there is life in the name of Jesus Christ. So I pray that if there's any grip that the evil one might have on any one of us, we break those chains in the name of Jesus Christ. The chains of bondage, the chains of escape, the chains of whatever it is that the evil one might have done, Lord, that we would lay that down in the name of Jesus Christ and instead we would walk in freedom because of the freedom that you have already wrought on the cross, won on the cross for us, Jesus, through your death and resurrection. So may we lean into your wonderful arms, lean back into your wonderful arms and find freedom in the wonderful, beautiful, and powerful name of Jesus. So as you go forth, I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit would be with you, church family, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.